I invite you to take your scriptures this morning and turn them back with me to that passage that the Lord has read for us in John chapter 9, verses 24 through 34. If you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's page 896. Our series is Mission Possible. She is known for writing some of the most beloved hymns in our hymn book, like Rescue the Perishing, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, Blessed Assurance, and many, many, many more. In fact, in her lifetime, she wrote about 9,000 hymns. She lived to be 95 years old, from 1820 to 1915. Her name, formally, was Frances Jane Crosby, but she's far better known as Fanny Crosby. But what you might not know about Fanny Crosby is that she was blind. In fact, most scholars believe that Fanny Crosby was born blind. She never saw, not once, all the beauties of God's creation. She wouldn't have seen the blue sky and the sun outside. Um, she didn't see ever the face of anyone that she ever knew or loved. Yet, in fact, and for all of her blindness, strangely enough, she was able to see more than what most people ever could dream of seeing. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Walker? Well, let me say it to you this way. There are all kinds of blindnesses. There's color blindness. There's snow blindness. There's night blindness. In fact, I learned that if you're wearing glasses, like a lot of us are, it's considered a level of blindness. If you are, your prescription is 2070 to 2160. Doesn't seem too bad, but you're considered moderately blind. 2200 to 2400, that's me, severely blind. 2500 to 21,000, profoundly blind. In fact, you would be called legally blind. Fanny Crosby was beyond all of those categories. She was totally blind, see. And yet, read her hymns for yourself. She could see what most people could not. Listen to a poem that she wrote when she was still a child about being blind. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. How does she say that? How does someone like Fanny Crosby, who's totally blind, at a young age say that being blind was a blessing, a source of joy, so much so that she would be content in life? where most people would be completely dissatisfied. How could she do it? Because in Fanny Crosby's life, early on, someone opened her eyes to a reality that was beyond what most people can see with their physical eyes. You remember the story in where Elisha's servant was 
afraid because the whole house and city of Dothan was surrounded by the Syrian armies. And Elisha, unlike the servant, was unafraid. And the difference was it's because he could see something. And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And his servant could see that the whole city and the army around him was also surrounded by a heavenly host, an army with swords and shields. And he wasn't afraid any longer. Why? Because he could see what most people could never see. See, that's what happened to Fanny Crosby. See, Jesus, the Son of God, opened her eyes because there is, can I say, there is a blindness worse than snow blindness or night blindness or anything that would allow you to have contacts or glasses. See, there's a far worse thing than can be categorized by moderate, severe, or even profound. It goes beyond all of those qualifiers. It goes even beyond what people would call, like Fanny Crosby, the darkness of totally being blind. Helen Keller who was also blind in death, called this, being both, she said, I have a double darkness. See, spiritual blindness fits into that category. But Fanny Crosby was different because although she couldn't see physically, she could see spiritually, and it changed everything. So let me ask you, can you see? Can you really? I'm not asking you whether you have glasses or contacts on. I'm not asking whether you're nearsighted or farsighted. I'm asking you, can you see the greatest reality that there is? Can you see the spiritual reality that Fanny Crosby could see? Because, see, although she was blind, she could see who Jesus was. She could see what he had done, and she could see her need of him and how that would impact her life now and for eternity. May I say at the outset this morning, because this is missions month, that I need to ask God's people here this morning, can you see? Oh, can you see like Jesus could see? You see, our text starts off in chapter 9 and verse 1, which we didn't read, and it says, and Jesus saw a blind man. And you might think that that's just an interesting or a reality truth. But if you read John 9, in fact, the entire book of John, which is really bracketed by Two passages at the beginning and end about how so many people are compared to whether they can see just physically or spiritually. All throughout John's gospel, that is one of the major themes and motifs all the way through. And John is constantly asking people like I'm asking you, can you just see with these or do you have another set of eyes? And God's people who have had their eyes opened by Jesus should be able to see all of the blind people around them who cannot see, who don't know who Jesus is, who have never come to know the forgiveness of sins and salvation in his name. Like Jesus, can you see God's people? Can you? Do you see the people in your neighborhoods and in your family and the ones that you work with? Can you see that they are blind, that every single day they live in darkness, because Jesus wants us to, and I want you to, as we, you hear what Jesus does in this text, would you put yourself in that position? Because his mission is yours. Jesus' mission impossible in this text was to open blind people's eyes. He sent the blind man, if you read in chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7, to the pool of Siloam to wash himself. And when he washed his eyes, They opened and he could see. And the pool of Siloam, the word Siloam means sent. 
Jesus is saying, see, I've been sent on a mission to blind people who cannot see the reality of who I am. That was Jesus' mission, and he's still on it today. And if you know him, and he's opened your eyes, it is your mission as well. If you're unconvinced of that, Luke 24 says that when the disciples were walking down the road with him after his resurrection, that he was pointing to them scriptures about who he was. And they didn't even know who he was. But when it says twice that he opened the scriptures and he opened their eyes, did our heart not burn within us, he says. See, that's what happens when Jesus opens your eyes. It's not just so that your eyes can be open and you enjoy, enjoy all the blessings of salvation privately. No, see, we're on a mission. Acts 26 and verse 18, Paul says that here's his mission, to open the eyes of the blind. See, it's a missions work that we're on. Jesus says, see, the night is coming that no one can work. But you and I have work to do, like Jesus had work to do. And I hope that you'll hear that voice of missions all throughout our text today. Jesus' mission impossible is just that, making the impossible possible. And I want to just take the foundation we built on last week and just look at two things simply, opposites of one another. Number one, impossible. We have to look at the impossible part of it. Opening the eyes of the blind with man. Remember last week? With man, it's impossible. With God, it is possible. So let's look at the impossible part with man. And and John goes out of his way to show how incredibly impossible it was for anyone to even consider or contemplate that the eyes of a man born blind could ever be opened. He starts off saying 16 times in our text, 16 times the word blind. 13 out of the 16 in Gospel of John are in this text. Two more appear outside of this text, referring to the same incident in 1021 and 1137, and they too are about this story. So all but one time that the word blind is used in the entire Gospel of John is about this incident. Why? Because John wants you to know this was impossible Almost all of his time talking about blindness is this very event. Because the man's blindness was unusual. He didn't just have a severe case of cataracts. He didn't have bad glasses, bad vision and need glasses. He had congenital blindness. He was born that way. And if you don't think that's important, 9, 2, 19, 20, 32, sprinkled all throughout the text... He's called this born blind over and over because they want you to know this. This is all he's ever known. He has never seen. He will never see because no one in the ancient world, including ours, who's born blind ever gets to see anything. We would say today, no doctor will change this. There is no surgery that will repair it. It's impossible with man to open the eyes of one who is born blind. But that's not the only thing John emphasizes. The little word in the Greek New Testament for possible and impossible is a word repeated all throughout this text. It means to be able. Chapter 9, verse 5. Look at it with me if you would. Night is coming when no one literally will be able to work. In other words, there's coming a time where this, is what's going to happen, is going to be impossible. 
chapter 9 and verse 33, if this man, the blind man debates, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The word nothing is have no ability. It wouldn't be possible if he wasn't from God. Chapter 10 and verse 21, you know what they even say later on when he's giving the good shepherd discourse? They say this because there's a division among them. They don't know who Jesus really is. Some say he's from God. Some say he's from the devil. And the one guy says this, could a demon open the eyes of the blind? In other words, no. Not even Satan in all of his power has the ability to do the see. Only God could open blind eyes. At the tomb of Lazarus, chapter 11 and verse 37, they're still talking about this impossible thing. They said, couldn't this man who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? In other words, he's done one impossible thing. Couldn't he have done another one? And this is the point John's making. Because you see, if Jesus is just a man, this is not possible. But since the guy's eyes are open, what must that mean? See, that's the debate in the chapter. Listen, and that's the debate that goes on in every human heart. That's the debate that perhaps is going on in your life today. And you've come to church here, and you came to church here, you've come numbers of times, and you're, and you're still trying to decide this. Who is he really? Who is he really? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a good moral example and model to follow? Was he a prophet? Or was he more? If you read through the entire paragraphs of this section, there are two counterpositions one to another, and they're obvious. If you listen to the religious leaders throughout John chapter 9, here's what they say. And all they can think of Jesus in is terms of man. And they repeat it over and over. Chapter 9 and verse 16. This man is not from God. This man is a sinner. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we thought Jesus did, just did wrong things. Sinner was a social category. Prostitutes, tax collectors, evil people, people who have been cursed by God. That's what they're saying about him. They're saying Jesus is far from God. In fact, he's one of the farthest people you could be from God. That's what they're thinking about him. This man is not from God. This man is a sinner. We don't know where this man came from all throughout the text. On the other side, you have the guy who's not religious. He's not theological. He has been blind, and everyone would have thought because he's been blind from birth. In fact, that's how the passage starts. Who sinned, him or his parents? Everyone would have thought that someone sinned and this man has been cursed because of it. Maybe his own sin. So here's what they believe about it. But listen to this man. Chapter 9, verse 11. Who healed you? The man called Jesus. Now he starts off thinking he's just a man. But later on they ask him in chapter 9, verse 7, says, I think he's a prophet. And then it says this later on, when Jesus comes to him, hey, this is the Son of Man. Do you know who the Son of Man is? And he goes, no, Lord, who, should I, who is he? And he, Jesus says, it's me. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. I mean, he goes from man to prophet to Son of Man to Lord, and he falls down and worships him. See the difference? Because you can't know that. You can't understand who God and Jesus is unless he opens your eyes. How impossible is it? Look at verse 33 with me in our text. The man says, by the way, and he's debating, and he's actually now taunting them a little bit. 
Guy's got a lot of oomph. Never since the world began. That's impossible framework, isn't it? Literally in the text, it means this. From the ages. He says, go back as far as you want. Go back in time. Go back to the very beginning of humanity. You have never, pardon me, seen anything like this. You've never seen anything like this. So if this has never been done before, that someone born blind can see, this has to be from God. See, when God opens the eyes of the blind, and I'm talking spiritually, they begin for the first time to see who Jesus really is, that he's not just a man, that he's God. You don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say? This text is bracketed in two different ways. In chapter 8 and verse 12, after the woman caught in adultery, and in our text, chapter 9 and verse 5, twice in a short period of time, listen what Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 12, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what he's saying, I have brought the light, chapter 1 of John, into the darkness, and I am shining it into your light. And when God opens your eyes and gives you divine light, you can actually see who Jesus is, but that's not all. And because he said it, listen, it cost him because also this text is bracketed by two stoning events. Chapter 8 and verse 59, they try to stone Jesus before our text. After it in chapter 10, they try to stone him again. Why? Because they can't handle the reality that the guy who opened blind eyes is God himself. And when he says it to them, they want to stone him. You know why? Because this miracle confronts all of us. You have to believe. You have to decide this morning, and that's what John's gospel is about. Who is he? Who is he really? Because if he's just a man, that he offers a way of living like every other Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha. See, none of them, none of them read their writings. They never said this. They pointed to God. Not one of them ever said that they were God. Jesus, categorically different. He did not just say, hey, let me tell you about God and point you to him. He said, I am him. And that's the division, isn't it? See, when Jesus opens the blind guy's eyes, he wants to ask you, are yours open Are they? When you know and believe that Jesus is God, it'll change everything. Well, how would I know, Pastor Walker? Well, let me show you from the text this morning whether you think you're convinced that you believe that Jesus is God. And I don't mean just intellectually. You may say here, I believe the Bible. I was Catholic all my life, or I've been this, or I've been that, and I believe that part about the Bible. See, let me tell you what changes when you really believe. Being blind has all kind of ramifications in first century living. This man would have been socially outcast. You have to realize he he is considered cursed by God. Everyone would have thought that. So he is socially cursed, which means this. His parents feared the Jews. They didn't want to have anything to let him speak for himself. They weren't even going to defend their own son. There are no friends in the text that he has. He hasn't worked a job on his own. 
He is dependent economically, which is another consequence. Socially, economically, he's dependent on everyone else. Twice in the text it says he's a beggar, and that's what everybody knew. He sat outside the temple, and he, and he begged and asked people to give him money as they come out of worship and sacrifice, thinking that's the best mood they're going to be in and my best hope. For many, many years, this is his livelihood. This is how he makes it. He doesn't pull his weight in his family. He isn't the son that they're going to depend on in their old age. None of those things. Economically, he's no one, nothing. Socially, he's an outcast. Religiously, he sits outside the temple because he cannot go in. He has a defect. He's imperfect. He doesn't have everything that everyone else has because he's been cursed. He can only go so far to the outer precincts of the temple. He can go no further. He cannot be close to God at all. On top of all of that, no one cares about him. No one stops to ask about him. They only give him stuff because he's a charity case. His own parents won't even defend him. But the day that Jesus comes, it all changes. Opened his eyes It's a phrase repeated in this text six times. Because John wants you to know in Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. No one cared about him, but Jesus did. Jesus saw him, and unlike everybody else who went by him, kept going. Jesus didn't. He stopped because he saw more than a man who was a blind beggar. He saw a man that could no longer, who no longer would have to consider himself cursed if Jesus touched him. No longer would he be unable to work. He could make a living. No longer would be a social outcast, but for the first time in his life, he could be accepted by his peers. He could be accepted by his own family. They wouldn't be embarrassed about him anymore. No longer would he be prohibited to go into the temple. This guy could go in and he could actually, for the first time, go to church and worship God. See, that's what Jesus does. He takes the impossible and makes it possible. Possible, he now realizes. It's possible for my eyes to be open. And when Jesus opened his eyes that day, can I tell you, marvelously, he opened more than that. He opened up to this man a new world, a world that he had never experienced in his whole life. The Bible says when his parents were confronted by the religious leaders, ask him, he is of age. If you are of age, you are minimally 20. So how long had he been doing this? Into adulthood, 20 minimally, probably more. Things that he had never experienced in his whole life, now he could He will no longer be the shame of his family. He will first time be able to bring honor to them. They will mention his name in public as one of their children when they talk to other people. He will not be the cause of shame. He may be, and today he would write a biography. He'd go on a tour and write the book, I once was blind and now I see, and he'd be popular. Signing autographs. The story of the man born blind. You know what? Now he could say this. I could get married, could never even thought of it before. I could have a family. I can have children. Oh, the impossible has become possible. See, 
Jesus opening his eyes changed everything. But listen to this. Let me show you what it means when he really does. He also knows one other thing. In chapter 9 and verse 22, it says that the Jews already agreed that anyone who should confess Jesus to be the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. So here's a guy who's been waiting for all these things his entire life, never once dreaming that they become a reality. But here it is, the miracles, the day everything changes in his life. And here's something he knows, that if I tell people what I think about Jesus and who he really is, the thing I've dreamed for my whole life, within a matter of minutes, I will lose it all. It's a hard decision that greater men like in his day, had refused to make. The only other time, and only two in John's gospel, that the phrase put out of the synagogue was used is chapter 12 and verses 42 and 43. Listen to it. Because it could be you and why you refuse to do the same. The rulers believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They didn't say openly that they believed he was Christ, that they really believed in him. Here's why. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why would they not do it? Wouldn't you think if they knew who Jesus is and what he really is and what he has done and who he is, that they would say, well, I don't care about what anybody thinks. But they had a problem inside. The text ends with this statement. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God Glory, it means weight, value. See, these people had standing in their community. They had relationships. They had people who looked up to them. And by the way, Jesus wasn't exactly popular with everyone. And so you know what they had? They say, I want to ha- be a private disciple of Jesus. I want to know him and believe in him, but I don't want anybody to know it. You know why? Because they had a disordered love. They were more concerned about what everybody else thinks rather than what God thinks. They loved it more. Have you ever done that? Do we do that? I think we do. Knowing and believing in Jesus for this man, listen, here's what it means. Here's what it looks like if you really believe in him, if you really know him. It changes your entire value system. Here is a guy that today is the day that he thought would never come. All the things he ever dreamed, everything he'd ever hoped from, now he could possibly have it all. But within a few minutes of time answering a couple questions, it would all be reversed again. All the things, because being put out of the synagogue was the number one worst thing that could ever happen to you. Socially, you weren't accepted anymore. If you were put out of the synagogue, no one would buy your stuff. No one would sell you anything. You wouldn't be able to go to synagogue or the temple to worship. Religiously, socially, economically, you would have nothing. That's what he was before. Jesus opening his eyes was supposed to change all that. In a matter of minutes, he is going to have to make a choice. Will I forfeit all that I've dreamed for, that I just got my hands on, for Jesus? Or will I lie? Will I tell people that I don't really know who he is? Will I say nothing? See, 
Would he lose everything again? Back to square one? Oh, see, there are people here this morning and you're contemplating the same thing. See, you've been waiting for all these things most of your life. You're looking for things and you're wondering, is it worth it? If Jesus did the impossible in me, it might cost me. And you would be right. See, if you follow Jesus and confess him openly and tell people that he is Lord, you may have to forfeit the glory that comes from your girlfriend or your boyfriend when you tell them, I can't live with you anymore. I follow Jesus and and I desire to please him more than you. But because of that, people forfeit Jesus instead. Also, you may have to forfeit the glory that comes from your friends. And all of us as friends, it's not just young people, it's all of us. See, we're worried because if I start being serious about Jesus and I give my life totally to him, see, I have to worry, what will they think at work? Will this affect my job? Will I get that promotion? Will people still like me? Will I be made fun of? Will it become worse than that? What if I dress different than they do? What if I don't talk that way anymore? What if the framework of the way that I think is completely antithetical to what I used to be? What will they say? What would I lose? Oh, you may have to forfeit the glory that comes from your job because you're not willing to do the things your boss asked you to do. You're not willing to go the places he used to ask you to go, and you're not going to be like that, and you won't be one of the boys anymore. Now see, if you confess him, you may have to forfeit the glory that comes from social media and the things that you put on there. And to see, you wouldn't say this, Jesus is number one in my life. It's not about my political position. It's not even about my ethnicity. See, I'd have to say this, it's him. He's it for me. You see, if I go back to square one and I lose everything else, socially, economically, religiously, if I lost all of it and I still have Jesus, you'd have to believe that you would come on come out on top and really believe that. That's why when you put the two statements together, 935 and 938, they are impossible for most people. Verse 35 says simply, and they cast him out. It is the same verb used to cast out demons. That's how violent of a decision this is in people's lives personally. And they cast him out. He said, I just lost it all. When I questioned them and I got in their face and told them, here's what Jesus is. This is why I think he is. You know what they said? You're out. All the things you just gained, you just forfeited and gave them all up. And the man says, so be it. Jesus, listen, it, you know how bad it is? Jesus is another part of the temple complex which holds 100,000 people And this man was cast out of the synagogue, and within a few minutes of time, Jesus got wind of it. That's how powerful what happened to him was. Because it says, and when Jesus heard it, it didn't take long. He comes back, and he sees the man, and he begins to talk to him. And he talks to him about the Son of Man and who he is. And he says, Lord, who is he? And Jesus says, it's me. You have seen him, mind him what he did for him, and now you know him. And here's what he says. Lord, I believe. No, no. 
listen, I believe in light of verse 35, in light of the fact you were just kicked out, in light of the fact that everything you dreamed of, you just got you lost and forfeited. In light of that, yes, in light of that, here's what I say. I believe more than that, listen, and he worshiped him. Worshiped him. Oh, see? That's what really believing in who Jesus is and what he's done, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. See, Jesus, you're my treasure. You're everything. I put you above everyone and everything else. And if I have to lose all of it and I only have you, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. The passage ends with a three-verse paragraph, 38 through 41, because the entire time the Pharisees have been there, they're the religious keepers of the well, so to speak. They're the ones who look to make sure everybody's in line, although they themselves are not. And Jesus looks to the man and says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see blind people, not just physically. And those who see may become blind. See, I, I know this reality, do you? You, you will never see who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what that means until you first admit that you are blind. You have to admit that you're blind. It's hard to do. I can tell you this. Let me give you a case in point. How many times did someone have to tell you you need glasses before you got them? <laughs> oh, I, I just need readers. That's all. I get readers. So you get a little bit more powerful readers. Right? And then, okay, you know, I can't see, you make a mistake, maybe you get in an accident, something else. Someone tells you, you need glasses. When you, nah, I don't need, I've never worn glasses. I don't need glasses. What is wrong with us? You know, I can tell you what's wrong with us. It's a love problem. You know why? We don't think we look good in them. Why are there so many kinds of glasses? Why don't we just stick anyone on our face? Why do they have to be cool and fancy and draw attention? Why? Because we're covering up a weakness. Some people say, oh, I'll, I'll take care of all that. I'll just wear contact lenses. No one will know that I can't see. Right? Because we don't want to admit it, that we can't see. It's hard to admit when you're wrong, isn't it? The religious leaders couldn't do it. Because, listen, hear the warning. You can be blind about your blindness. Did you know it? You can be blind about it. And you know who it happens to most? Religious people. People like you and I who come to church and sit in these pews. See, you can think because you give mental assent to the Bible and its facts. Oh, that I believe Jesus is God. But did you believe like this guy does? Does he hold that kind of glory and weight in your life? See, I, I asked Carrie. Carrie came over to our house yesterday. And she said, Pastor Walker, I need Jesus. I need a personal relationship. Carrie sits in our pews all the time, has. You know what she said to me yesterday? She goes, I know about him. I know the facts about him. I know all that. I believe all that. It hasn't changed me at all. But I need it to. I need it to. Carrie trusted Jesus as her Savior this weekend. It's going to change her life. But see, that's the thing, isn't it? You can be blind to your own blindness. 
You can sit here for years and years and years and think that the message is for somebody else when reality is it's for you. See, the religious leaders, they couldn't admit that they needed more than glasses. They need God glasses. They need to see Jesus for who he is and really what he's done on the cross when he died and rose again. See, they needed it, but they couldn't see it. Oh, they would believe some of the truth of it. But it's never really changed them. Not the way they talk and walk and live and act and what they're... And listen, not just the external things, the internal things, the desires. See, salvation and Jesus opening your eyes, it doesn't just change your destiny. It changes your desires and your deeds. And it's not proved by showing up on Sunday morning. Although I'm glad that you do. Well, it's showed up with a changed life. Values that go to the core of who you are. So let me ask you one more time. Can you see? Can you see like Fanny Crosby? Can you see like this man? Have you seen Jesus like that? See, maybe you're here in double darkness. But I can tell you this. Jesus can do the impossible. And he can do it for you if you'll put your faith and trust in him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, you might be here this morning and you might be here for the first time. You might have come for the last couple of months. Maybe you've been here for years like Carrie. But maybe you're blind to your blindness because you know what it does? Having your eyes opened by Jesus, you find this. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. A relationship that changes you from the inside out for eternity, which starts now. And you have to say, Pastor Walker, why? I believe some of those things. I, I believe the Bible about Jesus and who he is, but it hasn't changed me. Not, not really. I don't think this morning that I would forfeit everything. If I had a chance to have all those things and not have Jesus, I think I would have opted for all those things. And that says something, doesn't it? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you say, Pastor Walker, I want Jesus, I need Jesus. Can you say it that? I need Jesus to really open my eyes. That I might follow him and know him and treasure him supremely as he deserves. I really need to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in all that he is for me, that his cross, death, and resurrection was the payment for my sin. And only in him will I ever know the meaning of life and have eternal life. With no one looking around, would that be your prayer this morning? As the Spirit of God takes his word and moves in your heart, say, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I need Jesus to open my eyes that I might have life. Put your hand up, would you? And I'll put it, and then put it down and I'll pray for you. Go ahead, and I'll just, I won't mention your name, but I'll just pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I need him to open my eyes, not just about my destiny, about my desires, my deeds, everything. Anyone else? Raise your hand, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else will join these three? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? 
In a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a closing hymn. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, but you know, maybe for the first time in your life, I'm blind. I'm blind. I admit it, I'm blind. But I want to ask Jesus to do the impossible and save me today. Open my eyes that I could see him for who he is and what he's done on the cross and trust him. Change my life and take it all over completely. Would you just come forward? You know it means nothing to walk an aisle other than it gets you the ability to talk with me so I can get you to talk with someone else to start you down that path by putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone. We'll ask you to come as we sing. Don't hesitate. Father in heaven, you are the God of the impossible. You can do what no man can do. And Jesus opened the eyes of the blind because unlike the religious leaders, he was more than just a man. He was the man, the son of man, the God man. Only he could open eyes that was true then, it is true now, and it is my prayer, oh God, that you'd hear my prayer, my words to you today, and that you would do it again. Do the impossible. Open blind eyes that people might see and be saved for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.